business and buckets we are live episode 91 right here in the 406 the beautiful ronan montana and uh i'm fired up for this show obviously mma is always cracking uh rocking the sugar shirt the sugar merch i got from uh ufc uh prep for usc 276 on my 30th in vegas we broke that down last week but we got a, had a good card, fight night card last weekend, an awesome fight night card this week, ESPN, ABC, prime time. Um, we also have some, some transactions in the NBA we'll talk about, baseball, some things happen in football. You already know the deal, the past week and upcoming weekend sports. But before we talk sports, let's talk the one and only sponsor at Business and Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. Whether you guys are trying to run a 4040, lift 400 pounds, or enjoy life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. So head to FueledSupplements.com and use promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. I'm actually in week eight of working out again. Last summer, I came here, it threw my routine off. I was struggling bus a little bit. Um, COVID, winter, the depressive winter in Seattle, whatever I want to you know, blame it on. But week eight, consistently going to the gym, um, doing cardio. I'm actually using Fueled Supplements and having a stack myself. Right now I am rocking the Fueled Greens, basically like the Athletic Greens, mixed with a multivitamin. And then if I need to use pre-workout, I have pre-workout, protein, and I'm also using a fat burner Showtime so definitely check them out, fueledsupplements.com. It's very affordable pricing with my discount. All three, I just bought new pre-workout, Showtime, and Field Greens for like 100 bucks. Um, my guy Josh on top of it literally got the notification that I, the order was submitted and it's already been shipped today. So screw GNC, the big large companies. Go to Field Supplements, help small business. That's what it's all about. We got to help small business survive. But... Let's jump right into the UFC because I'm hyped up for this weekend's card. Even though it'll be my last day in Montana, I won't watch it live. I'll be at the lake. I will be tuning in. I will be breaking it down for you guys next week. Around MMA, we have some sick, sick fights announced. Not a ton of them, but three of the four I am ecstatic for. I mean, Sean Brady, Bilal Muhammad. Um, Bilal for me was a guy that was kind of an average fighter, solid, durable, good wrestler, decent striking. Um, but he's been on a, on a tear and he's been kind of wrecking through everybody. Uh, speaking of wrecking through everybody, Sean Brady is the real deal. This is going to be a prove it fight. This is going to be an opportunity for these guys to have a big name and, and be that much closer to a title. And they're going to be mainstays in the division for quite some time. We also have Mackenzie Dern taking on uh, Shinyon Yan. Whoo, my wifey Mackenzie Dern getting into the octagon. Um, you know, she's a badass, very well-rounded. Yan is an excellent fighter as well and has cruised her way up through the rankings. So this will be an awesome fight. Pretty much the same thing on the line. A win here, you're very, very close to the title. One fighter maybe even have an opportunity to fight for the title. And stylistically, I don't know if you could get much better than this. We have Giga Chikadze taking on Sadiq Youssef. Uh, big, big shot for two guys that have been in the UFC for not a ton of time, but have flashy knockouts, highlight reels for days. This is going to be must-see TV. We also have Anthony Hernandez taking on Marc-Andre Beralt. Uh, that's going to be a fun fight. Two guys in the middle of the ranking, not top 15, but like middle of the division rankings. Uh, it's it's going to be a big-time fight with a lot on the line. And then Tony, Tony Kelly removed from the UFC roster. He just had the fight with Adrian Yanez. Yanez uh, booted him around the octagon, and I guess that was enough for the UFC. I'm assuming his contract was past due, and, and that's really the case of what was going on. But, um, yeah, uh, a tough, tough news for Tony Kelly. You know, he's a pretty solid fighter. I'm surprised he got cut. Um, also, this weekend outside of UFC, we have Ryan Garcia fighting this weekend. Um, big name boxer, super hyped, uh, grew up training with Canelo. Uh, you probably have seen his Instagram reels and ad or in posts about his hand speed. Uh, but he's undefeated taking on a big time opponent this weekend. That's going to be a lot of fun. But let's break down this past weekend's fight night card. We had um, 
a pretty solid card. I picked nine fights on the card and I went five and four, so barely over 500. I did submit a parlay here in Montana. They have little sports betting kiosks you can do and obviously uh, came out not with no money. Five and four record, not a very good uh, uh, weekend in picks for me. But we're going to make it up, make up for it this weekend. I'm super hyped uh, on a deep card with some potential underdog plays as well. But in the prelims, we have Kennedy and Shukwu. He had a third round knockout over Carl Robinson. And to be honest, I mean, this fight went exactly how I expected it to. The only surprise for me was Kennedy was able to get effective takedowns. And I haven't seen that a lot from him. And Carl, the shorter, stockier guy, uh, a guy who's fought wrestlers before, I just thought that was surprising. A nice wrinkle to Kennedy's game. And Kennedy, as I broke down last week, was really able to use his length to keep Carl at range. Then he was able to get a takedown early in round one. He had a ton of top time throughout the three rounds. Obviously able to grind out the gas tank of Carl Robertson. Statistically, Kennedy landed 64 total and 20 significant strikes with five takedowns and a submission attempt compared to Carl's 16 total and nine significant strikes. Now, Kennedy ends his two-fight losing streak to start a new winning streak, and Carl extends his losing streak to four, while he hasn't won since November of 2019. So he is at risk from being cut from the UFC. Um, Kennedy, the younger fighter, but both of them at the bottom of the light heavyweight division. So brutal loss for Carl. Now, what's next? I could see Kennedy taking on Ed Herman. And if Carl still fights in the UFC, how about Alexa Kamor? Those would be great fights to add. And then in the prelims, we get the Shevchenko sister, Antonina. She scored a split decision over Courtney Casey. I had picked Shevchenko and picked Carl or um, Kennedy. So I was 2-0 starting early in this card. Uh, but this was a fun back and forth fight. I mean, Antonina was able to keep Courtney at distance with her jab for most of the fight. And even though Courtney had two takedowns, she was able to secure the split decision victory. Uh, I think it was more of being the aggressor, landing more strikes and volume. Uh, but it was pretty close when we look at the stats. You know, some of the stats could be misleading. You see some fights, the volume might be higher or they're counting, you know, barely clipped strikes as strikes. But statistically, Antonita landed 81 total and 55 significant strikes compared to Courtney's 80 total and 33 significant strikes with two takedowns that she had. Now, Shevchenko ends her two-fight losing streak and starts a new winning streak, while Courtney starts a new losing streak of her own. Uh, what's next? I would love to see Antonina take on J.J. Aldrich, two veterans in the division, two girls that have been up and down the rankings. This would be uh, very fun. And then Courtney versus Luana Carol uh, Carolina. I think that fight makes sense. Then we had the prelim headliner, Cody Brundage, with a first-round knockout over Treshawn Gore. And this was the first one I got wrong and busted most of my parlays. I mean, it was a great first round for Treshawn, even though he got knocked out. He was pushing the pace. He was landing his jab. But Cody was able to land a massive shot up next to the cage, and it dropped Gore. And the ground and pound that Cody was able to land was just icing on the cake. He was able to get the, um, the, the, the clean knockout. For me, this was a, uh, you know, an impressive showing by Cody. It only took him 23 total and 15 significant strikes. He also had that takedown and knockdown compared to Treshawn's eight total and significant. So he was able to keep Treshawn, who was pushing the pace, probably should have let his hands loose a little bit more, down to eight strikes. That's, that's impressive. Um, Cody is now on a two-fight winning streak all this year in 2022. Treshawn's on a two-fight losing streak and is still searching for his first UFC victory. Now, like I said, impressive showing by Cody, who didn't really even need to test his wrestling. I was expecting him to go for the takedown early, didn't need to, stuck to the striking, got the knockout. He was bragging about it in the post-fight interview. For Gore, obviously a brutal loss. Um, you know, he had Cody against the cage. Like I said, I think he could have let the hands loose and landed some damage. But uh, that's something that when you're young in the UFC, you learn from these, you watch film, you, you get a little, you get to be a little bit more of yourself in there. And Treshawn was very stiff to start that fight. So I would love to see Cody take on Wellington Terman and Treshawn versus Dusko Todorovic. Those would be a blast. Um, Wellington, Cody, that would be fun. I mean, Treshawn, Dusko, two guys, Dana White Contender Series, Ultimate Fighter. 
Uh, seems like a match made in heaven if you ask me. But moving into the main card, we had Jamie Malarkey with a split decision over Michael Johnson, which was fight of the night. And how about Michael Johnson and his fights? Holy, I mean, what a great fight to start the main card. Johnson rocked Jamie. I mean, clipped him. I, th I thought it was lights out. Michael Johnson doing it again. Um, how Malarkey was able to survive, I'm not too sure. But this was a back-and-forth brawl throughout the three rounds. Both fighters landing big shots. But Michael, when you look, look at the striking, was clearly the faster and crisper striker. But Jamie just had more volume throughout the fight and was able to eat more shots. Obviously younger, not as much damage taken as Michael. Michael's been in a lot of brawls. For me, I thought Johnson won rounds one and three. Uh, so obviously you win two rounds in a three-round fight. I thought he deserved the victory. But Jamie, again, was more durable and able to take those big shots of Johnson and continue to push the pace moving forward. But I thought Johnson had the biggest moment in round one with that knockdown. I mean, most guys, that's a clean knockout. Big moment, wins round one, loses round two, but wins round three. Um, I mean, he finished the round even in round three with big shots as well. So um, I, I thought that was, uh, you know, a very, I, I'm not, I don't think it, it's, a, it's a robbery. It could have gone either way, but I had the scorecards going towards Johnson. Uh, which is, you know, for him at this point in his career to still be getting fights like this, go three rounds, almost knock a guy out, should have had the victory. I mean, that's why he's still in the UFC. Statistically, he landed 68 total and 66 significant strikes compared to Jamie's 96 total and significant. Um, but Michael had that knockdown. But you can see statistically, maybe that's how the judges have got the decision. But again, it's round-based, not overall. Now, Michael starts a new losing streak and has lost five of his last six fights. Again, highlight reel, though. Close fights, big brawls. You know, he sells fights. That's why he's in the UFC. Not a lot of guys could lose five of their last six at that age and still say the same thing. But Jamie, he starts a new winning streak after the loss to Jalen, the Tarantula Turner, who I saw at 276. But I would like to see uh, Malarkey take on Rick Glenn and or Clay Guida. The veteran, veteran's still out there. He's still grinding out fights. While I would love to see Johnson square up against Chris Grusenmacher, I think either of those fights for Jamie and, and Johnson would be would be great for, for UFC fans. And then we move back into the bantamweights. We had Ayman Zahabi with a unanimous decision over Ricky uh, Tercios. I mean, what can I say about this? This was a messy fight. Ricky was being wild, you know, tricky Ricky, the noises, all the fun things he does, but he was not landing any shots. And clearly Zahabi had the, the game plan to be very defensive. He was looking to land, land counter shots and not do too much uh, and, and really welcome a brawl with Ricky. And it got the job done, but it wasn't a ton of fun to watch. Um, Iman landed 54 total and significant strikes compared to Ricky's 27 total and significant strikes. In three rounds, he only landed 27, and he threw 235. He, he missed more than 208 strikes. I mean, that, that's just nuts. Um, Eamon is now on a two-fight winning streak, while Ricky suffers his first UFC loss and starts a new losing streak. So I would like to see Zahabi versus Tony Gravely and Ricky versus Khalid Taha. Those are the fights that I would make if I was the matchmakers. Moving into the big boys, we had Chase, the vanilla gorilla Sherman, with a third round TKO over Jared Vandera. And this was a performance of the night. I mean, classic heavyweight banger. Jared and Chase were landing massive shots. Somehow, all three rounds, um, they were able to keep the pace up and volume, which we talked about last week how both of these fighters this is basically must win. Chase has been cut, brought back. You know, Jared's on a slide. So um, as a fight fan, this is exactly what you want to see from heavyweights. And I thought Chase was on his way to get the victory personally, but he didn't let it go to the judges as he landed a nasty uppercut at the end of the fight and, and followed it up with a combo. And he got the job done with the TKO. Statistically, he landed 137 total and significant strikes with that knockdown compare compared to Jared's 109 total and significant strikes. Now, Chase has his four-fight losing streak come to an end, and he starts a new losing streak for the first time since May of 2019. That's got to feel great. 
while Jared extends his losing streak to four and hasn't won since May of 2021. So I'd like to see Chase take on William Knight. I think this would be a lot of fun. This would probably be another great brawl. And Jared take on Chris Barnett if he's still in the UFC himself. And then this bantamweight fight, this one delivered as well. Saeed Nurmagomedov with a unanimous decision over Douglas Silva de Andrade. And what a fun fight with some explosive and dangerous bantamweights. I mean, the bantamweight division so stacked, but these guys bring a lot of talent to the, to the octagon. And Saeed was a control in round one. He looked to cruise through Douglas after round one. You're like, all right, another Saeed highlight performance. But Saeed had some nice head kicks. He was the, mo the more faster striker. It looked like he was clearly the superior fighter. Well, we know that Douglas has power. I actually bet, I think, 20 bucks on a Douglas knockout because it was plus 750. And I know he, ha you know, he, he has a an opportunity to knock someone out any given day in the octagon. And he was able to land a big, big shot in round two and, and was able to sit Saeed down, get on top of him, have some top uh, control time in round two. So I thought it was one and one going into round three. And I thought Douglas personally landed more shots in round three. So I, I would have given the, the um, decision to Douglas. Uh, but I guess the judges were more worried about the overall volume. Um, maybe just like the, the previous fight that I disagreed with. Uh, but this isn't the way the fights are supposed to be judged. It's rounds based, right? Um, not really mad about this. I don't think it was a high rate robbery like the last fight. But I did have Douglas with rounds two and three. Clearly round two, three is a mix, but I, I'm going to give that one to Douglas. So a couple controversial fights. Um, I haven't looked and see if there was anything on social media and whatnot because I watched these fights on like Monday. Um, but that's how I would have scored them personally. Saeed landed 77 total and 42 significant strikes with the takedown compared to Douglas's 44 total and 28 significant strikes with the takedown of his own. But again, Saeed had a lot of volume round one. Much like the other fight, you know, one fighter had a lot more volume in one round, but it's a three-round fight. You judge it round-based. But it just shows Saeed isn't invincible. You know, Douglas is a great bantamweight, but he pushed him to the limits as I expected him to. Um, but again, I would have had Douglas in the decision. Now, um, since they aren't related, I would love to see Saeed take on Umar Nurmagomedov or Adrian Yanez, who's, who's on the way up as well. And for Douglas, how about Kyler Phillips or Rafael Asuncao? I know Asuncao hasn't been fighting. I haven't seen a lot of info about him. I don't know how many fights he has left on his contract, but that would be a great fight of two UFC veterans that have done a lot for the UFC. And then in the co-main, we had uh, Kao Baralho with the unanimous decision over Armin Petrosian. I had picked Saeed in the fight. I had picked Jared Vandera, so I went wrong there. I picked Ricky Tur Tercios, uh, so I went wrong there. I had Jamie Malarkey right. And in this fight, I had picked uh, Armin and got this one wrong. And this was uh, KL wrestling the shit out of Armin. That's all he went to. He knew what the game plan was, and he stuck with it. He kept Armin against the cage because he, he respected Armin's striking. I had talked about watching him fight Gregory Rodriguez, and he really impressed the shit out of me. But KL was able to completely eliminate that. And there was really not a lot of action in this fight besides Armin um, charging him and Baralo getting the takedowns. In three rounds, KO only landed 49 total and 12 significant strikes. But he did have four takedowns compared to Armin's 72 total and 31 significant strikes with that reversal as well. Now KO is on a four-fight winning streak, all of them in the UFC. And Armin starts a new losing streak after a three-fight winning streak. So what's next? I'd like to see KO fight, or well, he called for Dricus, Dricus de Plusse, but I'd expect him to take on someone more like Roman Delidzi, who we saw recently, or Jacob Malkoon. Um, either of those fighters, I think, would be a, a, a good fight for him. And for Armin, how about Albert Dureyev, who we just saw in the octagon as well. Either of those fights, young fighters, lot, you know, lots of potential. Those would be great fights for fight fans. And how about the main event? We saw Rafael Fiziev with a fifth round knockout over Rafael Dos Anjos, which was performance of the night. And I've been super hyped for this main event since I saw it booked. 
But round one, both fighters were kind of feeling themselves out. Lots of respect, very high-level striking. But Fazeev was able to defend the takedown attempts of RDA, which was a huge, uh, huge win for him. And that was what I thought would be RDA's best, best path to victory if he could get Fazeev down and, and uh, wear on him. And then rounds two and three were very close as well. There was good combo exchanges by both fighters. Um, you know, very paper thin on who won those rounds. Round four is where we were able to figure out how Fasiv could handle, you know, championship type bouts. Rounds four and five. RDA has a lot of experience. And Fasiv, this is something new of him. A lot of people were wondering how his cardio would play out. Um, RDA landed a flying knee though and a nice left hand. But Fazeev took him right down, right to the cage and clinched him up just like he did in rounds two and three. Um, RDA did get a takedown with a minute left. So RDA definitely winning that round. The first three rounds, you know, I don't even want to take a stab at who won those. That's how close it was. So shit was getting interesting to entering round five. So I was thinking that RDA would push hard in round five and potentially steal a victory with, with how close things were because he would really come on in that round four. Uh, but Fazeev, right at the beginning of the round, right as you think he's gassed, right as you think it's it's going RDA's way, lands a huge left hook. He was able to land that with a fake knee. He kind of hopped up like he was going to knee, sat, I think, threw a right. Huge left hook. That shit hit the button, and um, um, that, that that's how he won the fight. And I, I lost my mind. I couldn't believe it, how close this was, how crazy it was going to the judges. Fazeev said, fuck that. I'm moving up in the rankings and I'm on my way to a title. Statistically, Fazeev landed 92 total and 64 significant strikes uh, with the knockdown compared to RDA's 90 total and 54 significant strikes with two takedowns. I mean, statistically, look at how close that was. We're talking of a difference of just a few strikes. Now, Fazeev, he extends his winning streak to six and he moves up three spots in the rankings to number seven, while RDA starts a new losing streak after a two-fight winning streak and moves down one spot to number eight in the rankings. So I would really love to see Michael Chandler versus Fazeev. I think that stylistically would be an amazing fight and would sell very well. And how about RDA versus Dan Hooker? Um, you know, RDA veteran Dan Hooker, young, fought a lot of the best people in division on his way down. This would be a fun fight. I mean, you can't really go wrong in the lightweight division. There's fights for days to be had. But this weekend, we get UFC Long Island on ABC, on ESPN. Um, some fights that we're not breaking down and some things that have amassed this past week. Uh, Dwight Grant's going to fight. That, that'll still be a fight worth watching. Uh, Herbert Burns is now facing Bill Algeo. Bill had his opponent, Bell, and Billy Quarantillo was out of uh, the row fight. So you get Herbert Burns, Bill Algeo, Bill Algeo, and we'll break that down. But we're going to start in the prelims where Jessica Penne, 39-year-old fighter with a 14-6 and record, and the number 14 next to her name, is taking on Emily Ducate in her UFC debut, and she is 28 years old. Typically, or basically, this is an OG vet who's finishing out her career, and she's taking on a newcomer to the UFC who is also a former Invicta champion. So, she, you know, she's got some talent. I think I saw on Instagram or Twitter a highlight reel of one of her knockouts. Knockout. She has some serious power. Uh, but when we break it down, Jessica is a black belt in BJJ. She's also a black belt in judo. And when I said she's an OG, I mean she's a Bellator and a Invicta and an Ultimate Fighter alum. She did have some issues in her career with a four-year USADA suspension. Um, she had the 2013 fight of the year against Michelle Watterson. She's on a two-fight winning streak. Both of those were in 2021. And eight of her 14 wins are via submission. Meanwhile, Emily has a Muay Thai and BJJ background with a black belt in BJJ. She is also a Bellator and a Victa alum. She trains out of American Top Team. She's on a three-fight winning streak, and four of her 11 wins are via submission. Now, the Evicta champ is favored in this one, but Penne has had some really impressive wins lately in 2021, and I think she's going to go to her bread and butter. I think she's going to wrestle Emily. I think she sticks to a good game plan and finds a way to victory with a younger fighter who's probably going to get a little reckless, look for the knockout. She wants that big name, enter the rankings. 
but I don't think she's ready for it. So I'm taking Penne. I'm putting her on that parlay. We marking her down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Herbert Burns, 34 years old, with an 11-3 record, taking on Bill Senor Perfecto Algeo, 33 years old, with a 15-6 record. Now, this is a short-notice fight for both fighters with their opponents dropping out, and both fighters are looking for momentum early in their UFC careers and in their fighting prime at 34 and 33 years old. Now, Herbert, he's got a BJJ background with a third-degree black belt, He's Gilbert Burns' little bigger brother. He is a Dana White Contender Series, a 1FC, and Titan FC alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak, and eight of his 11 wins are via submission. Now, Bill, he's got a black belt in BJJ. He's a former Ring of Combat champion with three title defenses in that promotion. He's on a one-fight winning streak, and six of his 15 wins are via submission. Lots of submission victories for these fighters. Now, this one's hard to pick. I am going to go with Herbert as I believe he's more well-rounded. Obviously, having Gilbert as your brother, training with a good gym. I like that third-degree black belt, so I think he's a little bit better on the ground if it gets there. But usually, you get two BJJ studs. It turns into a striking battle, and I think Burns possesses some uh, end-your-night-type power. So I'm going with Herbert. I'm putting him on the parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, we have Dustin the Hanyak Jacoby, 34 years old, with a 17-5-1 record and the number 15 next to his name, taking on Daun Seta Jung, 28 years old, with a 15-2-1 record. Now, this is a fun light heavyweight matchup. We're getting two, two guys on a roll. They're looking to move up in the rankings in a, a shallower light heavyweight division. And when we break it down, Dustin, he's an orthodox fighter. He trains at a factory X Muay Thai. He's a Bellator Dana White Contender Series and World Series of Fighting alum. He's a former Glory and Cage Fairy fighting champion. He's on a three-fight winning streak, had a draw in between, but also would won four in the, within the draw. So I will say it's a seven-fight winning streak with a draw in there. So he's very hot. Ten of his 17 wins are via knockout. And Daun, he's an orthodox fighter as well. He's on a two-fight winning streak. It's funny how similar they are. He had a draw in between. And then um, just like that, had 12 fights before that. So really, he's on a 14-fight winning streak with a draw. He has a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage in this fight. And like Dustin, a lot of knockouts, 11 of his 15 wins are via knockout. I think Daun's got some really impressive wins lately, but I like Jacoby in his fighting prime. He's fought a little bit stiffer uh, competition. You know, he's six years older, right up in his prime there. Daun, I think, is going to move up top, but I think this is maybe a little bit too high of a, of a um, talented fighter for him. But both guys have shut the light out power. It's going to be fun. I'm taking Justin Jacoby, but I'm keeping him off a parlay if avoidable. <laughs> and how this card is on the fucking, you know, the prelims, I mean, I don't get it. This is such a good bantamweight fight. We get Ricky Simone, 29 years old, with a 19-3 and record, and the number 11 next to his name, taking on Jack Tankshore, 27 years old, with a 16 and 0 record and the number 14 next to his name. Like I said, how this isn't on the main card, I'm a little shocked, but this is a big fight for the bantamweight division as we get two fighters not even in their fighting prime. They're going to be mainstays in this division. People aren't going to want to fuck with them. And we get to see an undefeated fighter in Jack who's 16 and 0, which is very impressive. Now both fighters, they're well-rounded. They can wrestle, they can strike. So I'm interested to see where this fight goes and what each fighter's game plan is. I believe they're going to strike for the most part, though, which gets me pumped. I can't wait for that if that is the case. Now, Ricky's got a black belt in BJJ. He's an LFA, a Titan FC, King of the Cage, and a Dana White Contender Series alum. He's a former LFA champion, and six of his 19 wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Jack is a black belt in BJJ. He's a Cage Warrior alum and former champion. 
Five of his wins are in the UFC. Eight of his 16 wins are via submission. I don't know, man. I mean, this is a tough one. Ricky has more UFC experience, and I think Jack is the cleaner striker. But both can really grapple and have good BJJ. Both aren't even in their fighting primes yet. Both of them are hungrier than ever. I think they've been a little bit underlooked, even though Jack's undefeated. He doesn't get a lot of cred. Ricky, it's hard for him to fight, uh, book a fight. But I do think Jack's a little flashier. I think he's got more of that, you know, non-typical, hard-to-predict uh, stature to him. And I think he's going to find a way to win this on his feet. So I'm taking Jack. I'm putting the tank on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, the prelim headliner. We get Puna Healy, Puna Soriano. 29 years old with an 8-2 record, taking on Dalcha champion Lungambula, 34 years old with an 11-4 record. Now, this is one that I do not expect to go all three rounds. Both fighters have some serious power. They're desperate for a win at this point in their careers, and that formula equals must-see fights. Now, Puna, he trains out of extreme couture. He's a brown belt in, in judo. He's a former D3 wrestler. He wrestled at Wartburg College in Iowa, and he would placed seventh. He's on a two-fight losing streak, and five of his eight wins are via knockout. Now, Dolce has a judo background. He's a former extreme fighting champion with two successful title defenses. Five of his 11 wins are via knockout. He's on a two-fight losing streak since coming to the middleweight division. He's 2-3 and three in the UFC. He does have a 3.5-inch reach advantage in this fight. But I believe Puna, he's going to set himself up. We've seen the potential coming out of Dana White Contender Series. I think he's going to find the shot to put Dolce's lights out, get back on track. And for that reason, I'm putting Puna on the parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. You knew if they're putting this on ABC, it was going to be a deep fight card. I mean, the Puna fight, lights out. The Simone fight, how it's not even on main card, I'm shocked. The Dustin Jacoby fight should be a knockout. The Herbert Burns short notice, but still a fun fight. You're going to see uh, a ranked fighter starting it off with uh, Jessica Penne. So pretty deep prelims right there. And in the main card, we get a fight that I was supposed to see live in Vegas at T-Mobile Arena, or Shug Mobile Arena, as he likes to say. But we get Misha Cupcake Tate, 35 years old, with a 19-8 record and the number 10 next to her name, taking on Lauren Lucky Murphy, 38 years old, with a 15-5 record and the number 3 next to her name. Now again, this was supposed to go down at 276, a little bummed, but, COVID, uh, but Lauren tested positive for COVID. This is going to be a fun fight, though. This gives Tate the opportunity to possibly fight for the title with a win, as Valentina had noted. Both women have similar fighting styles. It's a new weight class for Misha. She's older, post-baby, partum, you know, you know, slipping weight. That's not going to be easy. But Lauren, she's been the more active fighter. Misha came out of retirement after five years of chilling, being a mother. You know, she's on her way back. She's been uh, mixed reviews in her, her return to the UFC. But she trains out of extreme couture. She's a purple belt in BJJ. She's a strike force alum, a former bantamweight champion. I mean, Tate's one of the original names you think of when you think women's UFC. She was also a former champion at strike force and freestyle cage fighting. She was the female fighter of the year in 2011. I mean, that's 11 years ago. She had the comeback fight of the year in 2016 versus Holly Holm. She's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-1 one one since her return. Seven of her 19 wins are via submission. Now, Lauren, she's a brown belt in BJJ. She's an Evicta alum and former champ. She's on a one-fight losing streak but was on a five-fight winning streak before that, and her loss was against the bullet Valentina Shevchenko. Eight of her 15 wins are via knockout, which is massively impressive for women's UFC. Now, this is a very difficult fight to pick. So many unknowns here. I believe the recent octagon and high-level fighters that Lauren has had 
is really going to help her here. And for that reason, I'm picking her to win. I think it's going to go via two decision. I think she's going to have a little bit better striking. And I think she'll be able to defend the takedowns of Misha. I am going to avoid this, though, on the parlay if I can. And another banger that was this close from rumors uh, being booked for 276. Because this shit's going to be fun. We get Shane Hurricane Burgos. 31 years old with a 14-3 and record and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Charles Air Jordan, 26 years old with a 13-4-1 record. And again, this one's going to be a dandy. I was hoping this would be on the, the card for my 30th because stylistically it's must-see TV. Now both fighters, they're young, they're talented. Shane is an orthodox fighter. He trains out of Tiger Shulman where he's a black belt in Tiger Showman's MMA. He's on a one-fight winning streak. The two losses he had recently were Edson Barboza and Josh Emmett. Both of those are fight of the nights. Bangers of fights. Five of his 14 wins are via submission, and five via knockout. Two of his three losses were uh, via knockout. He does have a six-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. While Charles, he's a black belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Eight of his 13 wins are via knockout. Four of his 13 wins are via submission. So all but one fight were via finish. Now, I think Shane is on his way to fight stiffer competition. He's just entering his prime. He's been there. He has that experience. So if he can avoid the BJJ of Charles, I believe he will win the striking battle and potentially land the knockout, but he's going to have to be patient. But I wouldn't be surprised if both fighters land big shots, damn near knock each other out. This one's going to be fun, but I'm taking the hurricane. I'm putting them on my parlay. We marking them down, and we getting that bread. And now we get the little guys. We get the flyweights, the fun speed of these guys I always like to watch. We get Matt Danger Schnell, 32 years old, with a 15-6 and six record and the number eight next to his name. Taking on Suma Daerhi, the Tibetan Eagle, 26 years old with a 16-4 and four record. And did I just murder his name? Probably. I'm sorry. Once I got it, though, I'll, I'll fix it. But this is another very intriguing and close matchup. I don't have a lot of knowledge of Suma Daerhi, but I do believe Matt is going to have too much experience. He's going to avoid the knockout shot, and I think that's going to uh, abode him well here. Matt, he's a black belt in karate. He's a purple belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's a former Legacy FC champion. Eight of his 15 wins are via submission. And three of his six losses are via knockout. Now, Sue, he has a Sanda background. He trains out of ATT. He's on a three-fight winning streak. 13 of his 16 wins are via knockout. Four of his four losses are via submission. Now, again, I think Matt's going to set himself up for a victory. He's going to play smart. He's not going to put himself into knockout situations. But I do think he pushes the pace. I think he might even get an opportunity for a submission to get the victory here. I'm going to take Matt. I'm going to put him on my parlay. I believe he is the underdog. So let's get those dogs. But I'm putting him on the parlay. We marking him down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We get Li the Leech Jingling. 34 years old with an 18 and 7 record. And the number 14 next to his name. Taking on Muslim, the king of Kung Fu. Selikov, 38 years old with an 18 and 2 record. Now I'm, 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 I'm excited to see how this one shakes out. The striking for this one could be fun for fight fans, and I don't expect this one to go the distance at all. Lee, he trains out of Sanford MMA, which is a recent gym change from, from Team Alpha Male. He's a black belt in BJJ. He's a former Legend FC champion. He's coming off a loss and was 1-1 one one in 2021, and 9 of his 18 wins are via knockout. Now, Muslim has a Sanda and kickboxing background. He's an M1 alum. He's on a five-fight winning streak, and 12 of his 18 wins are via knockout. 
If Lee can avoid the takedown, unlike he did versus Chemaev, I like his style and opportunity as a younger fighter here. I'm going to pick him, but avoid it on the parlays if, if necessary. If, most likely just avoid it on the parlay. And this is going to be an amazing co-main um, um, co event in the women's division here. We get Michelle the Karate Hottie Watterson, 36 years old, with an 18-9 and nine record and the number 10 next to her name, taking on Amanda Lemos, 35 years old, with an 11-2-1 record and the number 11 next to her name. Now, this has got big implications for both ladies if they want to have a shot at this point in their career to even come close to title contention. Michelle, she trains out of Jackson Wink MMA. She is a black belt in American freestyle karate. She is a king of the cage and Invicta alum and former champion, as well as Strike Force alum. She is a 2013 and 2014. She has fights of the year. That's how fun she is to watch. She's on a one-fight losing streak, and nine of her 18 wins are via submission. Now, Amanda is a jungle fight former champ. She had two successful title defenses in that promotion. She's on a one-fight losing streak, and seven of her 11 wins are via knockout. I've really liked the growth in both of these women over the past two years, but I like what I've seen from the karate hottie, and I think she's fought stiffer competition, I think that's going to help her dig deep. I think it's going to help her with a game plan against Amanda's power because she has some serious power. She's going to have to be careful. But I'm taking the karate hottie, and I'm avoiding her on my parlay. It's going to be a close one. And when you talk main events, oh boy, do we get a fucking treat on ABC early on Saturday. If you're going to be able to watch this live, you might be a little tipsy by this one. We get Brian... T-City Ortega, 31 years old with a 15-2 and two record and the number two next to his name, taking on Yair El Pantera Rodriguez, 29 years old with a 14-3 and three record and the number three next to his name. Now, Max and Volk in the featherweight division are really high-level fighters. You take these two out, these guys are clearly the next two best in my, in, my, in my mind. Stylistically, these fighters are a ton of fun to watch on their own. Every fight they've had in their last five fights have been amazing blockbusters. It just makes you wonder how this one's going to shake out. It's a five-round fight to tap, top it off, so we get five, or extra rounds of chaos. Now, I think there is a chance another title shot for the winner of this fight. There's been rumors or you know things surfacing online that the UFC has told Yair that if he wins, he gets a title shot. I expect with everything on the line that this does not go all five rounds. I doubt either fighter is going to want to let this go to the judge's uh, decision and let the judges you know, basically provide the fate of the fighters. Brian, he's a first-degree black belt in BJJ. He's a former RFA champion. He was the 2017 Breakthrough Fighter of the Year. He had the 2021 Fight of the Year versus Volkanovski last year. That deep guillotine. Wild. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is only 1-1 one one since 2020. Seven of his 15 wins are via submission. Now, Yair has taekwondo, boxing, and a wrestling background. He's got a black belt in taekwondo. He was the winner of the Ultimate Fighter Latin America. He had the 2018 Knockout of the Year versus the Korean Zombie. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He's only 1-1 one one with a no contest since 2019. And two of his three losses are via knockout. Now this matchup on paper is as good as any fight this year. I like T-City because I believe he isn't going to have to depend on his striking as much as Yair does. But both fighters have crazy attacks. They can catch anyone on any night. Get your popcorn ready. Get your early afternoon matinee prepared. Because it's going down. I'm taking Brian. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Next Saturday, another sweet fight night card. 
a deep London fight night card. I love when they're in locations. We got, um, you know, the East Coast this week. We get London next week. Next week, it's another early card, a 12 p.m. Pacific card. It's on ESPN Plus, not major networking. And it's headlined by Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall. Can't wait. Now, I mean, most of the show at this point is MMA. It's the offseason and the NBA. The MLB is cranking, but my angels are dog shit. The NFL has got a little bit of things going and some other things around the league or around the world of sports. But let's quickly go through and wrap up episode 91. I can't believe we're at 91. I can't wait to go MMA only, spice it up a little bit. Um, But let's dive into the hardwood. In the NBA, some more transactions. Frank Kaminsky signing a one-year deal with the Hawks. The Blazers and Dame Dalla, Damian Lillard signing a two-year, $122 million extension. Your boy's getting paid to be the franchise in Portland. Interesting name signed on a two-way deal. The Celtics signing J.D. Davidson. He's been a decent summer league player. Brutal news for E.J. Liddell. He almost went to the draft last year for Ohio State and opted not to do so. He tears his ACL for the Pelicans, so will be out for the year. The Bucks keeping Pat Connaughton around. He signs a three-year, $30 million deal with the Bucks. And then the NBA consider, considering an in-season tournament like soccer and moving um, the starting age in the NBA back down from 19 to 18. I believe it was 2005 when they moved it from 18 to 19. Quickly, we'll chat a little bit of Summer League. Summer League's been fun. I've been looking at the box scores. I don't watch a lot of Summer League. Um, a lot of the names leading in points are guys that have already been in the NBA. You have Cam Thomas averaging 27, Tyrese Maxey averaging 26, Desmond Bain, Trey Jones, they all doing their thing, Jalen Noel. Uh, rebounds, you got Jalen Smith leading the way, um, assists, Peyton Pritchard, Emmanuel uh, Quickly, Sharif Cooper. Um, but I've, I've liked what I've seen from a lot of the guys um, Cam Thomas has really been the guy that's that's blowing things up. It was fun watching Paolo. Chet Holmgren's had some moments. Um, Jabari Smith, that Rockets team's fun. I mean, any night the Rockets, the Magic, even the Pacers at this point, Benedict Mathurin's been looking good. I mean, you get those teams that have so much youth that are a lot of fun to watch those summer league players go. And uh, it, it's been fun to tune in, uh, see some of the action that's happening in summer league. Going to baseball, though, we'll talk about my shit-ass angels here in a minute. But how about Hunter Green? He's coming after Jacob deGrom. He got the second most 100-mile-an-hour pitches in a game. He threw 38 of them last week, second most behind Jacob deGrom. How about J-Rod? He's the third Mariner that's 21 years or younger to be starting in the, or to be in the All-Star game. He's joining Elite Company. And Ken Griffey and A-Rod out of the Mariners and doing this. Um, the Mariners fan base, you know, I have season tickets. Been super hyped about this kid. I've been hyped about him. He's a lot of fun to watch. Hopefully the Mariners can keep him around for his career and not lose him like A-Rod. And pretty much everybody else. The Contreras brothers, they both are catchers. They are able to be the first brothers to be all-stars since 1992. Obviously, um, the Contreras that plays for the Cubs, elite bat. He's going to probably get traded at the deadline, and his brother has really been performing well. The Braves are trading Drew Waters, Andrew Hoffman, and C.J. Alexander to the Royals for the 35th pick. The MLB draft coming up soon. They're trading some prospects, trying to get a higher pick. For the um, Astros, brutal news as Jordan Alvarez hits the IL for the Astros with inflammation in his right hand. The Braves acquire veteran Robinson Cano from the Padres for cash considerations. Cano's been passed around a little bit. Everyone's trying to get a little bit of resurgence on a champion or on a playoff run. I don't expect a lot to come out of that. The Blue Jays fire manager, Charlie Montoya, amid a 46-42 and 42 record. Can you believe it? If the playoffs started today, they would be in it. They fire their manager. I'm not too sure what's going on there. Let's pull up the all-star rosters. 
There was a few snubs, including Austin Riley. Um, I didn't think there was any snub that was too tremendous. Uh, but in the AL, you get Alejandro, Alejandro Kirk. What a season he's had. Obviously, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to man first base. Jose Altuve, the second baseman for the for the AL. Rafael Devers, what a fucking stud he's becoming. Batting like 330, hitting for power. I think he's the face of the, the Red Sox. Uh, move over Xander Bogarts, if you ask me. How about Tim Anderson at shortstop? You knew he was going to be there. Lots of Yankees, Aaron Judge and Juan Carlos Stanton in the outfield. I, I, you know, you could have put someone else there instead of Juan Carlo, but it is what it is. This is more of a popularity contest. And the Angels got Mike Trout in the outfield and Shohei Otani as a DH and a pitcher. No surprise there. Hopefully Otani gets announced for the um, home run derby here soon. Starting pitching, you got Paul Blackburn from the Athletics, Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez from the Yankees, Alex Manoa, what a season he's having for the Blue Jays, Shane McClanahan, that kid's shit is nasty for the Rays, Martin Perez for the Rangers, what a surprise, he was a one-year contract, I've always liked him as a pitcher, he's, he's having a great season, and the Astros putting in a pair with Frambert, Valdez, and Justin Verlander, and then obviously Otani there as well. Some relief pitchers, you got Emmanuel Kloss from the Guardians. He's had a great year. Clay Holmes for the Yankees. Gregory Soto for the Tigers. And Jorge Lopez of the Orioles. You could have put someone else in there for Jorge. He's had a bad, you know, end of the first half here. The reserves, Jordan Alvarez. You know, they're going to need a sub there. Luis Arias, you know, the high batting average hitting machine. Andrew Benatendi for the Royals, Xander Bogarts for the Sox, Byron Buxton of the Twins, Miguel Cabrera, uh, special selection, him and Pujols getting there at the end of their career, Andres Jimenez of the Guardians, Jose Ramirez of the Guardians, the Mariners' young J-Rod, George Springer, Jose Trevino of the Yankees, and Kyle Tucker of the Astros. NL starters, we have Wilson Contreras, Paul Goldschmidt, an amazing season he's had. Nobody's talking enough about him. Jazz Chisholm, ex-Osprey, major shout-out, Missoula Osprey. Um, what a flashy player he is. Manny Machado of the, the Padres holding that team together. What a, an amazing season. Trey Turner at shortstop. Outfielders, Jock Peterson, Mookie Betts, and Ronald Acuna. Supposedly, Jock turned down the home run derby. He said he's been sore prior years, and he's trying to stay healthy for this run. Bryce Harper DHing for the Phillies. He's going to need a sub with that, with that thumb surgery. Started pitchers, Sandy Alcantara, Corbin Burns, Luis Castillo, might be on the move soon, Max Fried, Tony Gonsolin, Clayton Kershaw, Joe Musgrove. Relief pitching, you get David Bednar, Edwin Diaz, Josh Hader, Ryan Hensley, and Joe Mantiply of the D-backs. Reserves, you got Pete Alonzo, Nolan Arenado, William Contreras of the Braves, CJ Crone, huge power at bat, ex-Angels prospect. Travis Diarnod, Ian Happ, Sterling Marte, Jeff McNeil, again, special selection for Albert Pujols, Kyle Schwarber, Juan Soto, and Dansby Swanson having a pretty solid career. Good to see him getting things together after being a very highly sounded prospect. Um, I had some things on my phones that I that I forgot to cover the past two weeks, so we'll we'll cover these. You know, Mike Trout. I got to see him in Seattle put on this tear five home runs in five days or something like that. But I forgot to bring this up. He's the first Angels player. Oh no, Mike Trout of the Angels is the first MLB player in history to hit four game-winning home runs in a single series. The home run that put his team ahead to stay. I got to see that in person. That was a ton of fun. First time ever. Let's see. In the NBA, I'm a jazz guy. They hired Will Hardy. Just some fun stats about him. He was a D3 standout at Williams College. His career started as a video intern with the Spurs, much like um, the head coach of the, of the Miami Heat. He worked his way up to a bench coach for Greg Popovich, joined the Team USA staff and the Celtics, and only at 34 years old, the Jazz are making him the youngest active coach in the NBA. Uh, so some fun stats there I forgot to bring up. And in the NBA also, they had talked about um, trilogies or the you know the big threes. I've brought this up. 
The Miami team doesn't get enough credit. But um, David Locke on Twitter said maybe LeBron James, D Wade, and Chris Bosh deserve more credit for holding their super team together since every other super team has at some point been a dumpster fire. And in my opinion, they haven't lasted hardly as long. Sorry for the NBA switch in there. Um, but back to baseball. Confirmed for the home run derby, we have Pete Alonso looking to um, you know, continue his reign. Juan Soto, of course, Ronald Acuna, Albert Pujols, Kyle Schwarber, and J-Rod. There's two slots left. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. Um, you know, Albert Pujols is there. I don't expect him to win, but either way, that's going to be fun. In MLB, as we look at the standings, the Yankees still clearly ahead of the AL East. Most of the AL East still right there for the wild card. The Orioles and Guardians are only two games back. The, the Blue Jays and Mariners right there. Very tight at the AL wild card. The Twins are only four games ahead of the Guardians. The Guardians have three and seven in their last ten. White Sox four and six. Twins five and five. So that whole AL Central on a struggle bus. The Astros 12 games ahead of the Mariners. Clearly going to win the AL West again. In the NL... The Mets two and a half ahead of the Braves, trying to hold them back. Eight and a half ahead of the Phillies. And the NL Central, the Brewers still ahead of the, the Cardinals, one and a half ahead of them. Both teams four and six in their last ten, so they've been struggling. And then the Dodgers really expanding on their lead, seven and a half ahead of the Padres. And the NL wild card, you have the Cardinals, Phillies battling right there a, a game back, and the Giants two games back, and even the Marlins five games back. So the AL really tight, the NL a little bit more separated. This weekend, we have the Freeway Series, Angels-Dodgers. Do I really have a lot of hope? Not much, but it's in Anaheim. And guess what? The Angels do well in the series. Maybe can get some momentum. But Otani's on the mound tonight every Wednesday. I feel like we've only won Otani starts the past two weeks. You got Phillies-Marlins in Miami this weekend. Braves-Nationals, that'll be a fun one. Red Sox-Yankees rivalry, rivalry in New York this weekend. White Sox-Twins in Min Minnesota. That's a big AL Central battle. And then Brewers-Giants in the NL in San Francisco. That's a massive, massive series for NFL positioning. In the NFL, Condoleezza Rice joining the Broncos ownership group. That's always great to see. The Ravens are keeping old man Justin Houston around on a one-year deal, but he's a great leader for their defense. The Patriots trading to kill Harry to the Bears for a seventh rounder. I can't believe this finally happened. It should have happened a long time ago. They only get a seventh rounder for him. And then RG3 is replacing Randy Moss on the Monday night uh, football pregame show. Congrats, RG3. That's awesome. And for a Steelers fan, one of the weirder headlines that I'm not too sure how to feel about, but Heinz Field is being renamed, and it's going to be Acrisure Stadium. I, I believe it's Acrisure Insurance. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but I I don't know if I'll ever call it Acrisure. Other hitters around sports, USC and UCLA expected to join the Big Ten. Obviously, we have talked about those mergers. Um, the Avs acquire Alexander Georgiev from the Rangers, their backup goalie. Very good starting potential. Obviously, the Avs believe they can be a starter. They decided to get him instead of sign Darcy Kemper. Um, they traded him for a fifth-round pick and a 2023 third-round pick. The Avalanche keeping a lot of the band together. They signed Valerie Nushkin, eight years, $49 million. Nushkin was huge for them this run. Defensive Josh Manson, four-year, $18 million. Darren Helm, one-year, $1.25 million. And another name I love to see today, Arturi Lenikin, five-year, 22 and a half. And how about the, the Penguins keeping a lot of the band together? Everyone thought they would blow up. The Penguins keeping Ev Evgeny Malkin the day he said he was going to test free agency, four-year, 24.4 million. And finalizing, Wimbledon just happened. Rafael Nadal wins the French Open. He's looking good. He's in the semis after a hard-fought quarterfinal. Pulls out doing an obstructor tear, I believe. So an ab tear, I could only imagine. You know, he, he struggled with injuries. I could only say what if about him, you know, over and over again. Um, but the, uh, the Joker, Djokovic, ended up beating uh, uh, Kyrgios in the finale. 
So Djokovic is the Wimbledon champion. And then we had talked about last week a potential for basketball on the aircraft carrier again. It's finalized. It's going down. November 11th, Gonzaga, Michigan State. Tom Izzo, Gonzaga, aircraft carrier in San Diego in honor of Veterans Day. That's going to be a ton of fun to tune into. And uh, yeah, I'm super stoked about the fights this weekend. Hopefully the Angels can do a little bit of something in the freeway series. But that's it for episode 91. Again, check out Field Supplements. If you're buying supplements, support small business. Fieldsupplements.com. Save some money when doing it. Promotion code BUCKETS. Um, super stoked for the fight card this weekend. Summer activities. It's mid-July. It's finally summer. We'll see you guys episode 92. See you guys next week.